hi, this is Candy in Chicago for the Agency Podcast. And Eugene in Toronto. I kind of uh, did that by surprise. I didn't even know I was going to do that. <laughs> well, that's okay. Okay, good. Because there are no rules. And, there's and, no rules. And in the, the 2022, is that what year we're in? Yeah. It's, there are no rules. That's right. Happy New Year. That's right. I had to remember, though, my problem is I talk so fast. I had to remember to go one and pause, two, pause. It makes mm. it so much easier editing because you can see the, 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 the audio. So yes. I don't even listen to it. I just cut it off right there. <laughs> so I'm having weird, weird Korean tea with the podcast today. Oh, I'm having the tea you sent us. Did you know you sent us tea? <laughs> oh, I have no idea what what we sent you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you and your partner very much. Um, you sent me Campbell's perfect tea and it really is perfect it is the greatest tea i've had in years mm. Mm. well it's um, so some, good some friends of ours dropped off uh, a bag of korean goodies for us mm. um, they're korean and it included three odd teas one of them comes in a jar that looks like honey mm -hmm. and you take a big spoonful of this and you add it to hot water and it becomes kind of a sweet citrusy tea. Mm, yummy. And, it sounds delicious. And then there's another one, which is corn silk tea. Oh. And I was going to have that one with the podcast, but I read on the box that it's a diuretic. No, I looked it up <laughs> and, it, and it's a diuretic. And I thought I'll have to pee in the middle of the podcast. So I, no. So well, then you know there was a third box that had no English in it at all. Oh, so you chose I had no idea one. what it is. But it has pictures of what looks like, I'm going to say, <laughs> barley on the front. And I think it's a barley-based tea-like beverage. Maybe it's ergot on the barley. I don't know. It's um, It comes with these really big tea bags. So I made a pot of this stuff, and I'm just going to drink it. And hopefully, Yummy. if I start hallucinating or something in the middle of the podcast, uh, you right. know what happened. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but... <laughs> And I always have pretty good excuses. Um, I had to pick you up at the airport one time <laughs> and I got lost. But the problem was that I had had this cup of tea and it was called lucid tea. You may have given it to me because I'm going to blame you on that. <laughs> okay. I don't know who gave it to me, but it was called lucid tea. And I'm telling you, it, it opened up the universe for me. I did see God. Um, I could still drive and everything, but I was like so... I can't explain it. I was just, and then I couldn't get, I couldn't figure out how to not be lost going to the airport. Got any more of that stuff? I know. It was really, I had to be very careful not to drink it again in front of driving. I know, yeah, I should go look for that. It was a First Nations tea and it was really good, but it was very um, altered states, if you will. Cool. I did eventually get to the airport, but I was like 15 minutes late. Not cool. Well, I opened my email today and there mm -hmm. was the latest reasons to be cheerful newsletter, oh. which I get once a week. Yes. Um, you recall that's the uh, the newsletter that was started yeah. by David Byrne. That's right. Um, I think that he has passed it on to a team of folks who are doing it without him at this right. stage. Um, but it has uh, the year in cheer, 192 ways the world got better in 2021. Oh, I can't wait to hear that. So I went through it. <laughs> 
I went through it. I figured 192 was a little much for our podcast, uh-huh. but I've chosen 20 ways the world got better. Okay. And I thought they would be interesting topics for discussion. Okay, sounds great. Shoot. The first one is an Indiana city with 140 roundabouts has saved lives, <laughs> reduced injuries from crashes, and lowered carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. That is true. I don't know. You know, I have mixed <laughs> feelings about the roundabouts. Oh, I love them. Do you? Why do you I love, love them? a roundabout? Because you're not stopping. You're just going around. It's safer. It's fantastic. Well, I think it may be actually safer in the same way that driving in Hanoi is pretty safe. Nobody goes very fast and you slow down so you don't get killed. So swarm uh, and, mentality, yeah. And so, yeah, it just slows everybody down. Hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm always nervous on roundabouts. It's like, oh, what do I do? Which lane should I be in? Oh, do I have to yield? Uh, right. What's going to happen? Is this guy going to crash into me? <laughs> I never know. Oh, yeah. No, I feel, I think I'm very used to them from the West Coast. We had a number of them in Victoria, BC. Oh, okay. So I just kind of even learned how to drive on them, maybe. Yeah, and, you know, maybe that's the deal. Once you get used to them, yeah. maybe they, they really do save lives. Save London, lives. Ontario went apeshit on them. No, was it London, Ontario or, or Windsor, Ontario? It's when I crossed the border. Right around there, they've got, they just went apeshit on um, doing uh, roundabout, roundabout turns. Yeah. Well, um, maybe it it's is a good panicky idea. when you're going onto the highway. I will agree that you're kind I'm, of like, ah. I'm a little bit nervous. There's one when we visit uh, Sheila's uh, brother and family mm-hmm. uh, in Uxbridge. There's one there, but there's never any traffic there. So it's no biggie, right? <laughs> okay. There was one in Portugal. It was uh-huh. like a huge roundabout. Oh, with, News like, flash. With, with this gigantic statue of i don't know it was probably like some former dictator in the middle of the roundabout and it was enormous and in in lisbon like driving in lisbon no matter what road you're you could be on a road with no other cars on the Mm -hmm. road Mm -hmm. okay and somebody is going to appear and he will drive on your tail (laughs) he will drive three inches from your bumper it's just what they do there i guess the arc de triomphe is a roundabout if you think about it. it, at the end of the Chandelier, and you have to, it goes a big circle, it's kind of famous in movies. Hmm. I'm not minding the weird barley-ish tea, by the way. I oh, interesting. Like Good. I am so right. enjoying the, my tea. The right second now. one. Uh-huh. Oregon has issued roadkill salvaging permits over the past two years, providing a free source of food for struggling families. Hmm. Here's my question. Uh-huh. Why do you need a permit? I know. I agree. Why can't right? you just I mean, go pick it if up? If you're going to eat the damn roadkill, it's, why do you need a permit? I agree. You just you know, pick up the roadkill and stew that puppy up, right? Right. I mean, I'm up there with renewing license plates. Or I skunk can under- or whatever it was. Right? right. I don't even know why we have to renew our license plates. I think that's a total waste of money and just a, it's a moneymaker for the cash, cash grab. It's a cash grab. I mean, All you right, did your so, license, you can drive. Yeah, I mean, so I have like, no, no issue. If people want to eat roadkill, you know, if you hit a deer, what the heck, you might as well enjoy the venison. I know. Are they afraid that people are going to hit the deer on purpose? <laughs> oh, God, I never thought about that. <laughs> That's possible. So possible. you got to have a permit for that. All right. Number three, after adopting a four-day work week, Microsoft found that worker efficiency increased by 40%. Absolutely. Well, Kel Surprise. Kel Surprise. People like to do that. And, they're and just- you know, if they went for a five-hour day, skip lunch, Two short mm. breaks in a five-hour mm. day. That's interesting. Productivity would go up even higher. 
because everyone would be so happy to get their work done and get out. You know, that's pretty All cool. Right. I like that. Number four, wildlife bridges in Wyoming have mm-hmm. resulted in an 81% decrease in wildlife versus car collisions. Very good. So no roadkill there to feed on. <laughs> yeah, I believe uh, there's some spots in Canada where they have um, not bridges, but like culverts that go underneath the highway. Mm, I think you're right. Maybe in Banff or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So that's good. Well, you know, one of the problems with uh, with the road killing of wild animals is that, you know, we figured out, I, I went to a lecture in Banff actually on wolves, and um, they the wolves don't like snow between their paws just like we wouldn't like snow between their, our fingers, right? So they choose to go on railroads or roadways because they don't want the snow in their paws. It makes perfect sense. Doesn't it? Um, so they our, have our, to. Ex- our yeah. pups hate snow in yeah, their paws. Exactly. They're just, they turn into little sucky babies. <laughs> oh, I can't walk. I have snow in my paws. Exactly. And, and they stop and you have to clean them out and they look so sad and pathetic. <laughs> Well, when you so get your pedicure yeah. done, they stick these things between your toe. So I to, wonder to, if uh, there so is it doesn't feel a if, if you could figure out like a, a relationship, a ratio mm-hmm. between the number of wildlife bridges and the number of roadkill permits. I know. Because <laughs> there, <laughs> there's going to be less roadkill if you have more bridges, right? Right. <laughs> All right. After number five, after New Zealand put gold stars on the bins of folks who properly sort their cans and bottles, the amount of material able to be recycled increased from 48% to 80% because everybody wanted a gold star. That is hilarious. I love it. I thought it was hilarious as well. All right. (laughs) Number six, over 540 libraries across the USA eliminated late fines. Yes, ours did too. There's no such thing as a late fee anymore. Um, I did, I was wanted by the library police. I didn't realize I hadn't returned a book and I went to go renew, I, to order some books and I owed $98. <laughs> but as soon as I, I came did, up with a, a book and, and, uh, at, at our a place I grew up, our house, I found a book called Play Bridge with Reese. And oh, it was taken book. out by the library like nine years I believe, before. Do you think I my took brother. that out? Oh, your mother took oh, it out. Oh, my brother Thank took God. it out. Thank it's God. totally my brother. Right. And I, I was scared to go into a library for right. years because they might think that <laughs> I'm him yes. and be waiting with like automatic weapons or something. I know. Because he was like the worst on libraries. So All they right. did find that if you return, if you that people will bring that book back if they're not afraid of the fine. When I took my book back, this was just a couple of days ago too. The fine was erased. That was really just a like a, a helpful reminder that I needed to bring that book back. <laughs> $98. That was nice I, of them not to not to make you pay. Oh yeah, they've eliminated fines in Chicago. Yep. Wow. For a couple of years now. And this was, I think, COVID related because I went to Canada last year in the winter a year ago and I didn't take the library book back and I thought I had, I guess, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't, we have so many books in here, I didn't realize I had it still. Number seven, a calm hotline in Baron Cabermeja, Colombia, designed to de-escalate men's emotions before they lead to violence, has decreased incidents of domestic violence by 43%. Wow, wow. Can, can, I, can you believe this? Like people get like so upset and they think, I'm going to call the hotline before I, I beat the crap out of somebody. Can you? And they call the hotline. Oh, wow. Calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean. And they're good. Yeah. I guess that's a good idea. 
I guess it is a good idea. I didn't know that. And I guess it's a judgment free. They're not going to turn you in because it's not the thought police. You're allowed to think that you are angry at somebody. You're not allowed to act on that. You know, yeah. like that's, that's an odd one, an unusual idea. It but, is an hey, odd if one. it works, I'm not again it. You know, I, um, going back to, um, oh, I have one more thing about the library too, that I actually had three books out. Um, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, was that, you know, in taking away the opportunity in those first few seconds is paramount. And we found out that suicide works very similar. If there isn't a means, often the next day you won't want to do it. So when, I, I don't know if I told you this before or not, but when they removed the gas stove systems in England, um, suicide dropped because the opportunity to just go put your head in the oven was removed. You would have to go and get a gun or jump from a bridge or do something. It lowered the impulsiveness of suicide, of a violent action. So I guess that's what that hotline is doing too. And don't you think it's good that there's a permission to talk to someone? It's okay. Well, that's a, it's a, that's I'm a so good mad thing. at my so-and-so, whoever that is. Just that, imagine if your job was you were working the calm hotline. Oh God, that's right. That means when someone calls and they're so upset, <laughs> you have to be the picture of calmness. I guess you have so. to find a way to talk that person down. And wow, what I a guess, hard job, but it must be kind of satisfying. Yeah. I, you know, I because I, mean, I think it, if you call the calm hotline, it's because you know that you can't control yourself, but uh -huh. you don't really want to hurt anybody. Well, I, I wonder, I wonder if it's, I wonder, because I think that I wonder what that, I wonder how rational it is. What's amazing to me is that you're usually, they've proven too, that science and studies have shown that when you're angry, you can't think. You literally are not able to think when you're angry. So um, it, it just compounds and freezes your um, critical thinking. Yeah, I can um, see that. Yeah. So how do they... It but they maybe, have to have that calm hotline number everywhere. Everywhere. So and that it, you see that number and yes, you go, oh way God, before. I'll just call the number. It must be. And it must be a lot of public service announcements, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I forgot. When I took the book to the library, I think it was great. And I said, okay, so I'm going to order some more. He goes, well, you've got more books. I went, what? <laughs> I had, in the generosity of my heart, passed on some, you know, put a bunch of books into a bag and given them to Megan and Michelle. <laughs> And library books they were john lacar's books remember when we read the um oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was two of those books and so i text michelle she goes well maybe they're still in the garage i was cat uh -oh. for her i was cat uh -oh. for her. so when i drove over there i had quite the little panic of oh my god what if they're not in there they were they were there Man. yeah and so. no fines and the library is happy <laughs> exactly right. and i got to order a shitload of books a couple days ago all right. Number eight, 50 per, 54% of cars sold in Norway last year were fully electric. And if you add in plug-in hybrids, that figure tops 80%. Oh, very interesting. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Number nine, Welsh landowners mm -hmm. have committed to fulfilling 65% of their basic needs, including food, water, energy, and waste, using only the land they live on. Now, there's a challenge. That's wow. quite a commitment. Can you say that one again for me? I... Welsh landowners right. have committed to fulfilling 65% of their basic needs, including food, water, energy, and waste, 
using only the land they live on. Oh my God. Now, okay, so 65%. So how many people? It's 65 of the population, 65% of the population, or 65% no, 65% of, of their, their needs. needs. But some people have pledged to take care of that. Well, how would you do that in oh landowners? Okay, so they've got a rain barrel, they've got so, a windmill. Yes. And I guess, and I, you know, <sighs> you you must. Maybe you milk a cow, um, get eggs from chickens, or trade uh, barter. Barter. Maybe you you, you maybe you grow uh, something in your backyard, and your neighbor grows something, and you trade. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's it's a noble idea. I guess. Uh, I think it's the right idea. How successful it would be? I, I don't know. I know that's a really um, big percentage. And then what um, about and I, people and I who know live that in a chunk of Wales is very mountainous, and mm-hmm. um, you might have trouble growing stuff. I don't. I don't know. But you might trade some wool for some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And it, so it may not be that they have to have everything on their land. They must be able to account for. I don't even know. That's so interesting. Well, like I mean, you would, if further... you if you're let's say. Let's say you were growing weed out back and you supplied mm-hmm. some weed to the guy who had sheep right. for his wool, right. then you would have barter. You're using the land to get the wool. <laughs> you just covered a great lifestyle choice right there. Knit, <laughs> wool sweaters, knitting, and weed. <laughs> you just covered all of the hipsters and everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you start me drinking. Korean tea with no English on maybe, the package. And that's what happens. Maybe it's lucid, <laughs> inducing. All right. Number 10. Number 10. A program in Eugene, Oregon. I chose this one because it's uh-huh, set in Eugene, uh-huh, Oregon. Uh-huh. Uh, it re- that replaces armed police with social workers, answers about 23,000 calls per year, um, saving the city $8.5 million. Ooh, I love it. Well, I think it's the right idea. We need less armed armed police and more people who know how to deal with people who are having problems. Exactly. And more satisfying environments for working in so people can be busy enjoying their social life at work and having fun and making money and going to movies and doing hobbies. (laughs) We need jobs. Good jobs. Nice Um, jobs. They don't have to be fancy. Just a decent place to work. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Number 11, this is interesting, the Cherokee Nation is reviving their language by offering a two-year program of 40-hour-per-week lessons, and they pay students 10 bucks an hour to learn. Brilliant. So that's great. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Cherokee Nation is doing well, and they can afford to do it. it. Um, Or maybe they're really worried about their language, and and they're taking fairly drastic steps to try Mm -hmm. to protect it. Um, Either way, I think it's good. Mm -hmm. Oh, here's another pretty interesting one. There's 11 sari libraries across Gujarat, <laughs> India, and they provide cool. free access uh-huh. to top-end cloths to over 4,700 low-income That's women. That's cool. That's cool. Which is really good because one of the barriers for some people to getting better jobs Ooh, is yes. being able to have the appropriate clothes to wear at the job. Right. And if you could, if you could borrow a sorry mm-hmm. to get you going mm-hmm. till you get your paycheck. Well, well that's great. I think and, it's a great idea. Some cities in North America have situations like that too, where you can get outfitted for job interviews or yeah, like a loaning library or really good prices 
now there's so many clothing apps here. You can really get clothing's pretty easy to get here. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, yeah, number man, 13. Those are very good. Singapore is launching a massive urban farming initiative to locally produce 30% of its food supply by 2030, even though only 1% of its land is dedicated to agriculture. Mm. Well, that's going to mean they're going to have to figure out how to do some vertical farming and yep. to, to try some different approaches to agriculture if they're going to make that work. That's right. Um, Singapore is apt to do it. Yes. Right. It's it's a, a place that has done all kinds of things that are, are really different than the way we set up our society here. And it's a blue zone, I think. What blue does zones, that mean? Those are the happiest places in the world. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like Denmark is a, is a blue zone. Uh, Cal- a certain neighborhood in California has longevity and, and happiness. It's a lot of Christian uh, Seventh-day Adventists, I think. And they have a, they have a blue zone, I think themselves in their community you know i had only heard the term blue zone used in the workplace oh when when i was working for the man mm-hmm. um doing communications work every um, night and day yeah i i worked i worked at a place in which there were two things going on on the one hand they were very proud of having uh ways of doing interviews which um which targeted your experience um, as opposed to what you would do or could do yeah Um, and they so they use particular questions which ask you to talk about things you actually did Mm -hmm. and and they were you know really trying to um use this super fair way of doing job interviews to increase uh, diversity and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but at the same time, the they had something called the blue zone. And the blue zone were the people that the local directors really wanted to promote. Oh. So, okay. <laughs> uh, so they would, maybe they would provide them with coaching so they would do better on the fair interviews. I don't know, but I always found it very, very difficult to get my brain around, on the one hand, wanting to have these super fair interviews, but on the other hand, um, it, it would seem pretty clear that only the people who they wanted to hire were going to get hired, right? Okay. The blue zone people, right? You identify okay. them, then you hire them. Right. So I, I didn't really think uh, it was right the way they were, they were doing it. Hmm. Oh, that's the only reference to Blue Zone I've ever heard. Okay, yeah, and actually, maybe I'm closer when I say the Seventh Day Adventists was that was longevity was a major part of um, Blue Zones as well. So, okay. um, yeah, um, I'm I I I don't know if that includes happiness. I think it does, but I could be wrong on that. I, I might have to look that up later on. <laughs> okay, number fourteen. Yeah, after Baltimore suspended prosecutions for minor crimes like drug possession and prostitution, the violent crime rate dropped by 20%. Well, that's not surprising, is it? Um, now the city is making the change permanent. Now, if there weren't, if there weren't so many crooked cops in, in Baltimore, uh, maybe they, they would have a, a better shot at, uh, uh, at less crimes. I don't know. I didn't think there was a correlation between cops and crime rates. Hmm. 
you might be right. Yeah, I don't think there is. I don't. I don't. I don't know. But I, I think it's one of those arguments that when they're when 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 the people want to spend money and hire more cops, or they get afraid, they they put out this punchline, this saying, "Oh, we're going to hire more cops or something." I don't think there's any correlation between law enforcement and crime rate. Certainly, um, certainly prosecuting people for for drug possession and sex work just seems stupid to me. It's completely stupid. Completely. Uh, number 15, France is letting drivers trade in their cars for a 2,500 euro credit that can be used to purchase an electric bike. Oh, so interesting cute. idea, huh? Wow, how much are electric bikes? Damn, they're $10,000. Well, I don't know how much an electric bike is. Yeah, I, because that's I'm imagining US. they're around 1000 bucks, but that's right. just an imagine. Because that would be... $5,000 in US money, I think. Mm -hmm. Euros? I don't know. Now, maybe, maybe electric bikes are more expensive than that. I don't maybe. know. Maybe. I don't know either. <laughs> but that's, you know, uh, it's offering an incentive. You want less cars on the road. That's right. one way of doing it. Yeah. All right. Number 16. Portland's hygiene hub offers four essential services to its unsheltered population. Mm. Uh, bathrooms, showers, laundry, and medical care. Well, there's a good start. There is a good start. There's a place in Vancouver called The Gathering Place, and they've been there since the 90s. I, I'm assuming they're still there. And it's got library, laundry room, showers, uh, and a cafeteria. And the cafeteria breakfast was something like in the year 2000 or 2005 was like a dollar. Lunch was $2 and supper was $2. So, wow. you know, that is so extremely reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I mean, Portland's a pretty progressive town, I think. Mm -hmm. um, it is. It, it sounds like they're they're trying to do a good thing. Um, I mean, that the, the next thing is to find housing for people, um, which is a little bit more tricky, I think. Right. If people want housing. If people want housing, right. that's true. Right. Yeah. Um, it looks like the gathering place is still in Vancouver. I just did a little check there. So they've been there, well, obviously, well over 20 years. And, and, and it was a beautiful facility. I went in there a few times. It was really nice. Oh, yeah? That's pretty cool. I like your list. And that was a really fun thing to hear about. It's sort of like the yeah. Harper's Index. I enjoyed that. Well, very yeah, much. I have just a few more. Number okay. 17, number 17, Washington, D.C. is offering free canoe rides with a catch. Paddlers have to recycle some river trash. <laughs> a similar program in Europe it. has collected 10 tons of trash in two mm. years. Wow. You That's know, really cool. When we were in Vietnam, um, part of the tour that we were on took us to a place called Helong Bay, which is um, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's drop dead gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but um, you're out there in this drop dead gorgeous landscape with hundreds of other tourist boats. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you're, they all just kind of park there and stay overnight and, um they have activities on the boats and you visit caves and mm -hmm. there is a um a floating um a floating village yeah that you can you can visit and um in the floating village they um the people the people who are running the cruises the boats convinced the villagers <laughs> that they really 
should make an effort to clean up all the plastic waste floating around in Halong Bay. Mm. Um, in part because a good chunk of it comes from the people in the village. Mm -hmm. um, I would say the rest of it probably comes from the people on the boat. Because, <laughs> okay, you know, maybe. mostly there's a few villages and there's lots of people on, on, on boats. Really? Um, but um, they're making an effort when they go out in their boat, they have a net and they try to net any garbage. And when we were in Helong Bay, among the first things I noticed was uh, floating chunks of plastic in the bay. Mm. And I thought, you know, people are going here because it's drop dead gorgeous chunk of nature. And you could see the result of people going there is all this litter in the ocean. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. pretty wrong. Yeah. So I think that's a great idea. Very right, good. you get yes. you get to use the canoe, but you got to bring back some trash. Yes, cool. Um, all right, number eighteen: conservation dogs are sniffing out invasive species that cost the U.S. economy over one hundred and twenty billion dollars per year. Wow, that's hmm. really awesome! What a great idea. <laughs> I mean, dogs can learn anything. They're super smart. Okay, number 19, an Alberta initiative. I just can't learn to take the snow out of their toes. Uh, uh, an Alberta initiative is reintroducing its first bison herd on Indigenous land 150 years after the species was nearly eradicated. Mm. Well, there's a start. Mm -hmm. There's a start, right? It's just mm -hmm. a start. Did you know Ted Turner bought all kinds of different ranches across America? Yes, I do. Yeah, and he put bison on them. Yeah. Yeah, some of some of the land that he bought has houses good trout streams. That's how I'm aware. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so I said I'd only have twenty, but I actually have twenty-one. Okay. Um, number twenty is sanitation workers in Turkey have rescued over six thousand books from the trash. And then they opened a library so the public can access them. I love that. And that then is find just... people. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's one thing to have your library book late, but you throw out that book, man. You don't have it We're going to put it in a library. And there's just some things that don't go digital. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's 21? And... I'm dying for 21. All right. Number 21 is a place called El Paso Community College in Texas of all places. Uh-huh. They 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 got 3 million dollars in pandemic relief um aid and they used it I love this to <laughs> forgive student debt. Oh, that's really There's nice. a beautiful thing. That is Just so nice. Like, Cuz you know, as people trying to trying to go to school and learn, well, man, it's going to help them out a lot during the pandemic. It's a good right. way to use the uh the pandemic relief, if you ask me. Yeah, pretty cool. So there's my top 20 from the reasons to be cheerful here in cheer. 20 it. out of 192. <laughs> chosen by me, more or less, by skimming through and choosing the ones that interested me. That said, Eugene. <laughs> Did you notice there was there was a lot of West Coast stuff in there? Well, yeah. Yeah, and anywhere there was a lot of nature, I thought maybe that inspires people near the rural areas too. Uh, I read for something like 14 hours yesterday. Oh my God! How can yeah. you do that? Oh, I just was so into it. I only I had I didn't even want to stop when I stopped. <laughs> I was really getting into it. Wow! Good I know I've you. got a lot of really exciting. So, what do you material. read? What did you read yesterday? Well, I read a couple of essays on the practice of masks in Renaissance Europe, 
and a mask is spelled M-A-S-Q-U-E. And um, just about this um, idea, I had to go. And, so while I was reading about that, I had to revisit Aristotle's poetics because I was reading about a big feud, a beef between these two playwrights in um, in the Renaissance, Ben Johnson and Inigo Jones. <laughs> and if you think there's beefs now, well, there was beefs then too. It's so funny. It was like Kanye and uh, Drake or something, right? So, and this was really about them competing for sponsorship. Uh, Candy. Yeah. I think he's just yay now. Okay. Sorry. Just yay. Just sorry. I, I, I know okay. you're not up on all the latest. So I, <laughs> I thought I would just let you know that he's just yay. Right. Okay. okay. Yay. He's yay. So um, these two, um, it was kind of dialogue. It was kind of following their, their, their fallout. They used to work as a team. And one of the things they're arguing about is whether or not, they had understood Aristotle's poetics. And I'm like, well, it's pretty hard for me to decide if I don't feel a little more familiar. It's been quite a long time since I've read that. <laughs> and I texted my friend Andrew in Connecticut. And I said, um, how familiar are you with the poetics? Because I thought he might give me a nutshell, right? And he goes, not at all. <laughs> so I did find it uh, for dummies. So I read this. It was a great little website. Um, that would be like in Canada, we would call it the Coles Notes version. Right. Yeah. Right. It, and I think I, in America, uh, it's the Cliff Notes version. Yes. Yes. This was a little more fancy than that. Honestly, um, it was not a bad site. I, I might even I might even be able to share it. Um, it was pretty good, actually. And um, it really. So the idea is that these two guys were arguing about whether you put more emphasis on the poetry, on the characterization or on the stage work. And, um, you know, just breaking it down that way which is really pretty funny because you kind of need everything, but you definitely need. So uh, Ben Johnson was leaning way more to the poet and arguing that Jones had misread the poetics, of course, because these guys want to get approval. When you did the revelries in, in the Renaissance, you couldn't just go put on a play. You had to pass the censorship because you couldn't have anybody insulting the royalty or anything like that, or insulting anybody that was paying the way or, or such. And in fact, they had such so many rules. So I'm just reading about all these rules. I'm really trying to track down food that was eaten during this. But, so I have but to read this has nothing to do with Ben Johnson, the runner. No. Okay. No, no, no. Different. That's this that. is like 1607. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. A lot of fun. He's like a literary critic too, Ben Johnson. So that was the, the golden age of the of the violin. Absolutely, the golden age golden of the age violin. violin and 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 you're you're right because a big part of these revels was dancing, all about dancing, tons and tons of dancing, and all the protocols around the food, the dancing, the clothing. They were huge spectacles, and they were considered like a, a game. It was all, not a competition game, but kind of like a competition game. Uh, so it's it's it'd be fun to see it acted out. So I spent a lot of time reading that, lots of that. Then I got this great book which I think I'd mentioned, I've actually uh, reached out to the author to see if she might come on the podcast. Her name's Karima Moyer Nochi. And she's got this book, I just got it called Chewing the Fat, an oral history of Italian foodways from fascism to Dolce Vita. I had not heard, you know, I thought it was kind of cool that she used folkways because it's not really recipes. They're not written down, they're talked about. And she is interviewed. The whole book is really the conversation. Remember the book I read about the nuns that live in the in the cloister in in um, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. I don't know if you remember uh, that. vaguely. Yeah. 
Well, it's the same kind of thing where it's all these accounts. She just interviewed tons and tons of people um, who had lived in Italy. They were like 90 years old, 80 years old or something. So they were going way back. What's really funny about this is it's turning out that all the food that we might think of as Italy it's really only been around since the 40s and really became popular in the 60s. It was Italy was pretty poor. People didn't eat pasta. Um, so many people really? were poor. It was really only well-off people that ate pasta. Really? I because, would have thought that that was like flour would be, your semolina would be a staple and you make your own pasta with it. I know, no. How, how much cheaper could you get? Corn. <laughs> Cornmeal. And that's why yeah, so many people had a disease that comes from it, plagra. Um, because it doesn't have very good nutrition corn, uh, proper whole nutrition to live on. You can definitely, it's a good subsidized food, but it's not, when you're just eating that, it's not enough. Well, don't um, you have to apply an alkali to corn as well to make it um, easier for your body to handle? That's probably true. That's probably true. I mean, I don't eat popcorn anymore. It's just, it took me my whole life to figure out I can't eat popcorn. It's just completely uncomfortable. Um, let's see. So yeah, so really pasta white flour was very difficult to get a hold of. They did have all kinds of like, kind of old black bread and stuff like that. That was kind of Russian. Oh, that's bread. so interesting. I Isn't think it would be it? fascinating to have an Italian dinner from 1902. I don't I think know I would if you really would like it. it. I don't think you would enjoy it at all. I might. I don't know. Maybe it's I mean, now we would call it you have to be open open to the idea that it's not going to be. <laughs> it's not going to be like Lydia. No, I think, I think, I guess, let me see if I can. Or Mario. There, there's a reason why it's called Chewing the Fat, this book, is because, it, you know, the idea that we have of the Mediterranean diet, kind of bullshit. Um, no. That, yeah, olive oil was very expensive, too. So people did eat unless you had Unless you, you had the olive trees in your, on your in backyard. Mm, and I know. It's so funny, right? It's funny when we look at exceptions to conversation. Um, I mentioned something about... You know, there is exceptions for everything, but those exceptions don't make the conversation. They don't make the, the point because although there are some people who are vaccinated in hospitals, five times as many are not vaccinated. So mm -hmm. when we say it's true, some people had farms and they ate olive oil and they had olive trees. And in fact, farmers who were living in rural areas, they did hoard food and they did eat better than a lot of the people in the cities who did not have that access. They weren't growing the food themselves. Um, so some of the people that were rural were a little healthier, were healthier. But many, many health problems were in Italy and short stunted growth and all kinds of factors played into um, Milan uh, for not very healthy diets. People were, ex and that's kind of how fascism ha happened was because it was that promise that uh, Mussolini was going to provide. He was going to be a father to the country, right? That didn't happen. But, um, you know, some things may have happened that people liked, but that was kind of how he won his, um, got his popularity. Was I just hadn't realized that Italy was so poor and so struggling in, from 1800 to 1920, 1930. Hmm. I yeah, no and I mean, either. I've really only started this book. I mean, I've really only read a few of the interviews. Yeah. But I, I had assumed that what we think of as mm. Italian food mm -hmm. or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, 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 pizza from Napoli, Tuscan food. I think uh, pizza was looked upon as very, very, um, well, like famous, you know, we love street food. 
but it was looked upon as really rock bottom. Wow. I, I think so. I think so. I'm still trying well, to figure out. I know, I know, I know, I know. But yeah, the 1960s, wrong. that was promoting all this idea of the Italian cook. So I'm like, all the people who say it's my old family recipe, well, either you were rich in your family way back, or it's not true. And by way back in your family, you mean the 60s. <laughs> well, I don't it's, know. It's, like, It's interesting because, you know, the idea of Italian food that we have today um when did it come to america the 50s i would say what what italian food italian food 1960s they're saying yeah 1950s for sure but they're saying that that was all kind of um but it's interesting it's american italian food is quite different than italian italian food like something happened when it was brought over here yeah, I guess the mass production of it. I mean, she talks about how there's so many um, labels and now you'll find it in Italy too, where it's mama's recipe and, and they have all these names for it. It's complete marketing. <laughs> oh, man. I know. I'm kind of in shock myself. That's not we need to an say Italian people, chef to come on here and talk to us we need or her, this writer. I, I hope she will come on here. I hope she will. She's very, very interesting writer. I, I just find her fascinating. And um, I've ordered up another one of her books, too, which is probably a little more academic. This one is, is interesting, as I say, because it's it's interviews. It's really like um, it really is. Um, what's the guy you love that we love? Who Lomax who just went around and recorded people playing music, mm. right? So it's it's not unlike that. And I love it that she says foodways rather than recipes. And, um, you know, so far the testimonies I'm getting, they were pretty poor. There was no white bread. There was no pasta. No. No. I mean, often, often history needs another look, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it does. Often. Yeah. You know, over I, I can think. Again. Well, I don't believe in history. I don't really trust it because I think it's a bullshit. It's written by the victors. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, I didn't make that up. Obviously, that's an adage, right? Isn't it? <laughs> History's written by the winners. Yeah, so um, I yeah, thought I mean, that was pretty interesting. So I far. could tell people that you made it up. I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, Candy said that. Yeah, no, really. So far, quite fascinating. I, and I think I mentioned that now that I have my library card all up to date. Um, not only can I use it to get into restaurants as proof of vaccination, I can take out books. <laughs> Oh. So yeah, I've got um, the Shakespeare. Well, I won't be going coming. to any eat out in any restaurants know, anytime soon because uh, Premier Doug has shut them down. I know, not even fifty percent. Um, no indoor eating. Oh boy, I'm so sorry. So it's back to takeout only. I mean, it's probably that we should do that here, but we haven't. Um, I really don't know. Um, I think they're just doing the vaccination card started yesterday. Um, steaks at Hard Rock did very well. They kind of gave everyone a little workshop on how to check the, the vaccination cards. And mm -hmm. um, he didn't actually check any, but they had everyone do this work orientation. So I guess if you had to step in and do it, you could. And, um, you know, people went out. We probably should go to 50%. I don't know. We probably should close because apparently it's like half a million to a million a day getting COVID here. Well, yeah, but we, we say COVID. But I mean, we're talking about different, fundamentally different diseases between the the mm -hmm. first one, yes. the Delta, yes. and the Omicron appear yes. to be quite, quite different. Yes. Like it, it's starting to look, studies seem to be consistent 
in suggesting that with Omicron, it's super, super, super easy to get. And it's not nearly as severe as the other previous strains. With vaccines, yeah. And if you have your vaccines, it's you're probably not going to have to go to the hospital. Well, uh, right. So no, probably. You know, you're right. I mean, I right now, I'm aware of dozens of people around me right now with COVID. Wow. So, yeah, no, it's insane. It's like everybody. I mean, everybody. Um, we're pretty short staffed. Uh, you know, just everyone. I just like half of the people just on the neighborhood. I know at least. And if I don't know them, somebody I know knows them. And they're not the cancel reservations at the restaurant. Um, we did not hold back. It did not stop anyone from going out on the week of New Year's and the holiday week. I was, it was crazy. In fact, at one point, I was just like, what the fuck? I, my boss told me I made 29 martinis and 12 old fashions within an hour and a half on top of all the other drinks that I was making. Wow. <laughs> well, I, I hope they tipped well. Yeah, they did. It was crazy. It was just like, oh my God, I just want to walk home right now and cry. It was horrible. <laughs> Fortunately, we did have the uh, takeout turned off. Thank God. And uh, what else? Yes, no. And I mean, everybody had a great time. So it was very nice. And hopefully, you know, and of course, we were short staffed, massively short staffed. Um, and I wore an N95 mask the whole time. I, I've taken to just going maximum protection right now. But you're right. This is the Omicron does seem to be not like as- everyone's going to get it. It's the one that everyone is going to get. That's what people say. I am still going to try not to get it. Well, you um, do. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's like a, um, I, the people I know that have had it were very, very sick. They were vaccinated and very sick. And they said they hope they never get it again. And, um, but they recovered and they didn't go to the hospital. But they did say it was like the fatigue was insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the nose running and all that stuff. So, you know, that sucks. But that does sound like a very, very bad cold. And, uh, you know, that's right. We hope it keeps getting weaker and weaker, even if it means it spread quicker. Well, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and maybe the future is it becomes like the common cold. Well, people say that we've all, we've all had N, what was it, N1, N5 or N, what was the swine flu? We just don't didn't know we had it. We've all had it now. Remember, it was like I the see. scariest thing in the planet. It was everybody was so afraid for a while, and it just went through the population. But it was weaker and weaker. So by the time right. we had gotten it, it was a very bad cold or a flu or something, but not devastating. Obviously, not yeah. fatal. Yeah, I mean, viruses don't want to kill their host. That's not a very good idea. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if the new lockdown initiated by premier ford is the right thing or not or if it will do any good or not i just really i don't have any sense of it although i will say that uh, i suspect that our premier does whatever he does politically motivated i don't think he really cares about me or you or anybody else no no and it may be only a couple of weeks it may be just to slow down the social life so that, again, hospitals aren't overloaded. However, I do believe that most of the people, you know, you have a high percentage of, of vaccinated. In Chicago, I think we're only 65%. But that's much higher than, say, rural Ohio, right? I mean, many, many people are vaccinated here, and many, many people keep 
are vigilant with their masks, but they are afraid of hospitals just being overcrowded. It's yeah. even if it's weaker, it's someone goes to the hospital still taking a bed, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what it's going to mean for people who need surgery that isn't uh, urgent life, right, life and right, death right, surgery right. Uh, in the coming weeks. We really have no idea. Uh, hopefully, hopefully this, hopefully this will pass very quickly as, as such a fast drain. And, and the, the idea of it, maybe, you know, what's exhausting is that you can get it over and over again. So some of the people I know, this is their second bout with, with COVID. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's, that's a disturbing part of this virus is that you can get it over and over again. Um, so that, that there's a fatigue in just that, you know, so we do want it to be um, worn out, just worn out. If it goes through the population, I think it would just wear out, especially quickly because you wouldn't be, if there's a, if you have an immunity for a couple of weeks or two months and it was passing through the population in that two month period, theoretically, wouldn't that mean that it would be gone? Gone-ish? I really don't know. At this I mean, stage I don't know. I'm not Everything a physicist. Everything changes I'm not a all physician. the time <laughs> at such a constant rate. And I really just don't know what's even right anymore. I know. I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV. <laughs> right. All um, I know is if there's a booster, give it to me. I know. I'll well, take it. More vaccines, I'll take them. We've heard that the booster for healthcare workers is going to be four months after the one they just had in November. So in another two months, healthcare workers and are going to have a booster. I mean, mine was in November. So I mean, I got ours in December, early yeah. December. But that's after healthcare workers get theirs, right? Because they definitely want to recommend healthcare workers get a booster shot. At least the CDC does in, you know, down here. Makes so sense. I don't know how that would play out in, in other places. I saw a bizarre movie. What did you on see? Netflix. Maybe you saw it. I don't know. It's called The Lost Daughter. I don't know why I watched it. I love Olivia Coleman. She was in it. She plays the queen in The Crown, um, Queen Elizabeth, um, in the last few seasons of The Crown. And she's just a magnificent actor. She just, I could just watch her do whatever. She could just be on the screen. So I thought, oh, I'll watch this. And it said thriller. So I thought, oh, I like a thriller. Um, I didn't notice it said psychological thriller. <laughs> I'm at the place right now where I don't think I like psychological thrillers. I remember really loving them when I was a teenager. Um, Clute is psychological and real, right? It's actually just a thriller. I don't, I don't know if it's psychological. Anyway, this movie, oh my God. So I'm watching it and I'm like, what the hell? I'm so stressed out, Eugene. A woman, Olivia Coleman's character goes to a Greek a beach, an island, and Ed Harris is in it. So I also love Ed Harris. Anything Ed Harris does is amazing. And he plays a very unique little funny character. It's just a small role, but he is really excellent in it. Um, he has a dancing scene where he is dancing with ladies in, at a party. And it's like, okay, he deserves an Oscar just for that. Um, he just has an expression on his face that's just so brilliant. Anyway, so she goes to this Greek island and he is the one who picks her up and he's the caretaker or the custodian for the Airbnb or hotel that she's staying in. It looks like an apartment you rent. Looks like an Airbnb. Um, and she gets in there and it's very nice and she goes down to the beach and you just follow her. There's not a lot of dialogue. It's, it's apparently based on a novel where it's all her mind. And for some reason, Maggie Gyllenhaal decided she was going to make a movie and she knew exactly how to make this to a movie. 
when I hear the description of the novel, I can't believe they made it a movie because it's really, really good. The problem is I'm by myself watching it. Well, because, you know, if you read a, if you read a, you know, there's novels out there that are interiors, like, um, they're, that's just what they are. They're just really a, a one person's mind thinking, looking at the whole world. They're not, nothing's happening, right? Except that they're fast, fantastic because they're, it's them. Like Dostoevsky is a bit like that. <laughs> and Celine is like that. What was that, that book called? Um, Journey to the Center of Night or something? I can't remember. Journey to the Moon or Journey to the Center of the Moon? I don't know. I love that book and I forgot what it was. Uh, Robert Musil also wrote a book that's just completely interior. So this starts out, but as it's going on, I'm getting more and more creeped out by, she's sort of disturbed. I mean, she's maybe deeply disturbed. And sometimes she does things, I'm like, oh, that's cool. But then I'm like, ooh. And everyone is a little bit disturbing. They're probably normal people. That's what's weird. So all of a sudden, I'm so creeped out by this movie that I, I think I'm going to stop watching it. And it's about a half hour or, or halfway through. So you know what I did? <laughs> I opened up on my phone Wikipedia and I read the plot <laughs> just to calm down. <laughs> just to calm down, I, I had to know I can't watch it unless I know what's going to happen. I can't stand it anymore. Um, I, that's not usually like me, but I was like, oh, my God, a self-care, bitches. Like, I just was so stressed out by this movie. And I think I would highly recommend it at the same time. <laughs> it's a really, really fascinating movie. It feels like an art house movie and yet not. And Olivia Coleman is amazing. And I would love to hear anyone's opinion if they've watched it it's on Netflix. I would just like to know what do you think of this woman and this story? It is so weird. There's a creepy doll in it, Eugene. Ooh. And creepy dolls are just like, that's really where I was getting like so fucked up was this doll. And I was like, I just have to read this plot summary to see if I can handle the way this movie goes. So it's a little bit of a mystery. We saw a really odd one the other yes. night as well. Uh, Sheila found this one and it's called Henry. Henry I love that movie. Henrietta. Oh, sorry. I don't know that movie. <laughs> it's, um, it's about a little girl oh. who is an accordion prodigy. Oh. Now, I like my accordion <laughs> prodigy movies. You know yes, this. Yes, I right? do know that. So yes. I thought, oh, this will be I'm kind of stoked. Uh -huh. Well, she lives in Ireland. Okay. And she lives with her father. Her mother has died. Mm. And her father has taught her tunes on the accordion. But this one that she likes to play is very much uh, an orange tune. It's very much a Protestant tune. And she enters like a talent contest. And she goes for the audition. And she plays this tune and the, the winners get to play in a concert in Belfast. Okay. Um, I see a thing here. <laughs> and the people who are judging decide they're going to accept her, Ooh. even though she's going to be going to a Catholic area in Belfast and mm. she's going to be staying with a family who are Catholics and you're not sure if this is going to be a problem mm. uh, or not. Mm. And that they're trying to get her to play anything except this uh, Protestant tune. 
which she quite liked. So they wanted to play like Bach and Mozart. Um, but at the same time, they're also not taking the accordion seriously as an instrument. Mm -hmm. And the people that she lives with live in this building, like an apartment building. And there's a place they go that's on the roof where there appears to be some army people who, I don't know if they're there in secret or just what, but it's like they have this room that's on the roof. And somehow or other, this girl in her accordion ends up in this room. Oh, geez. And a helicopter comes <laughs> and hooks up the top of the room and lifts her off the roof of the building. And she's in this box playing her accordion. <laughs> and the helicopter zooms her away. The end. Do they know I have no it? idea what this is about. I have no idea. It's the oh. weirdest thing. Oh, you're going to love The Lost Daughter. <laughs> okay, I mean, I, I was okay with the whole Belfast, the Catholic Protestant business, yeah. the, 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 the accordion prodigy and, uh -huh. and like all of that stuff. And then her father was supposed to come to the concert and then he wasn't going to come or he had some reason he wasn't going to come or some excuse. And then she decides she's not going to play because her father's not there. And then her father shows up, but she didn't play. So what she year has is a concert this? on the, that's, I have no idea what this movie is about. <laughs> I have no clue. Well, obviously it's a metaphor. I think it's not, it's metaphoric or something. Well, maybe. Aye, aye, aye. maybe it is. Or did she really get accident? Was it accidentally pulled away on this building? They well, to we do don't really know. She oh just flies off into hmm. the landscape being towed by a helicopter wow. while playing her accordion. Wow. Now it was a very fetching scene, you know, but I have no idea what the hell it's all about. <laughs> I think it's so fantastic to watch movies like that, that just play with your expectations and your mind and, and right. do something different. Yeah. Yeah. And so in that way, I want to say it was ambiguous, but it wasn't really ambiguous because she's in a, <laughs> I don't know what it is. She's in a box. It's being carted off box. by helicopter. No, that's yeah. kind of crazy, yeah, but that's also crazy. scary because she's a child without adult caregivers, you know, except for the pilot of the helicopter, I guess. If they know she's in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's just, there was a lot that wasn't clear to me. <laughs> or maybe I was doing collages and I wasn't paying enough attention. Because if it if if there's something on TV and it isn't really, really interesting right. to me, I do collages while I watch. Right. Well, if Sheila watched till the end of it, that's recommendation enough. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but she too asked the question. Yeah, what the hell what happened? What the hell is this all about? I don't know. Wow. She was going to ask you to go watch it so that you could tell us. <laughs> what was the name of it again? Henry. Oh yeah, I Henry. think it's on Prime. Uh, I will watch it. Um, the, you know, when you said Henry, I said, "Oh, I love that movie." I thought it was Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> no. Although so, there does sound like there's some loss in that movie. Yeah, so crazy. Meantime, uh huh. I've been gradually transforming my studio space mm -hmm. from painting studio to fiddle shop. Wow. Damn. And I could tell you this, I had better uh -huh. like doing this uh -huh. and better make several of these things because <laughs> you need a lot of tools. Yeah. And you're compromising your workspace. You're, you're, you're collaborating with your painting space. 
Well, it's true, but for right now, I'm working on collages, and I intend to work on collages for the foreseeable future uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, until I just really get, you know, um, uh, excited about doing some paintings again. Right. That makes sense. That's good. That's um, good. So, um, so meantime, I've started to accumulate tools. God. And I, are you getting some I, secondhand? I hope. Well, um, not yet. I haven't found anything secondhand, but I okay, I am trying to. You should to, send me a list. I can help you from down here. Uh, I will I will do that. Um, uh, one thing that I uh, you should keep an eye out for would be gouges. 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 You know, like a chisel, but with a yep. curve. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's what I need is gouges. Sheffield's a good company, right? Um, Are you yeah, impressed? That, you know, Are you impressed? Well, that I know that name. <laughs> well, I, I don't know the, the company names, oh. um, but I made a form. Uh-huh. You know, oh. I, I didn't know until I started looking into this. You need a form to make a fiddle. Like a template? Like a template. Um, like a sewing pattern? Like a sewing pattern. Okay. Let's imagine you have a plywood, three-quarter inch plywood form that's the shape of the inside of a fiddle. Uh-huh. And then you cut out a notch at the top, a notch at the bottom, and then each of the, the two points on the side, you cut notches there. And you glue in blocks of spruce, but you only glue, glue them onto the, the form with a drop of glue. Mm. So they'll stick but they aren't there permanently. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So then you have to carve this spruce that you've just glued in to complete the form because where the Ooh. form should be, you have blocks. So you have to draw and then complete the carving. So the form, so that the, um, the blocks of spruce become part of the form. Does that make sense? Mm, I, I'm seeing it as like, I don't know. I think so. They're glued onto the form and they're going to the stop the other sides from traveling so what, further. What, what you're going to do then is you're going to glue the sides to those stoppers. I would call them like a stopper or something. Yeah. Yes. You could call them yeah. a stopper, but yeah. you're going to glue the sides permanently. Right. To those blocks, which yes. have now been carved. Right. After you bend the wood with your bending iron. Right. <laughs> and that's going to form a garland. They call it a garland. Okay. Um, which traces the shape of the fiddle with its actual sides. And once you've done that, then you use a chisel and you knock the glue out, holding the form to the garland. In other words, you knock the form out, just leaving the garland. Okay. 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 So now you have like the outline of a fiddle with its actual sides and where it changes direction, it's held together by the carved out pieces of spruce that yeah. used to be glued to the form. Uh -huh. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It does. It's, it's a it lot. Does. If you looked at it, you would go, oh yeah, I get it. I think it's it like really sense. obvious. Yeah. It's like model building almost. Those are like little supports. I think I get it. So, so then you have to, create the plates the top plate and the bottom plate and the 
the thing of it is that the plates have to have an arch on the top and an arch on the bottom. Right. Um, and then you have to hollow out the insides to match the arch that you've carved on the outsides. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Typically spruce on the top, maple on the bottom or another okay. hardwood on the bottom. Okay. And we use today one technical innovation that, uh, that Stradivarius and his buddies didn't have. Uh-huh. And that is we use a drill press. Right. And right. you could set the drill press. And by we, for, you mean all you old fiddle makers, you? Yes. Yes. To, <laughs> so that if you drill into a piece of wood, it'll only go to the, the depth that you want it to go to. Right. And then you start putting holes in your top and bottom plates to the depths that you want. And then when you start carving, you carve away anything that has holes. Just like Michelangelo. Yeah. So you yeah. carve away anything that doesn't look like a fiddle. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you just glue the top and the bottom onto the Damn. onto the, the garland. Uh-huh. And then you have to carve a scroll, a neck. Mm-hmm. And you have to make um, you have to make a, a fingerboard. That gets glued on and you right. varnish the whole thing. And there you go. Just add water and serve. So now I'm going to say, see if I understand this. So you've got, let's say it's a quarter inch thick wood or half inch thick. You're going to start with even thicker wood. than that. There we go. Okay. So the whole front of the violin could be an inch thick and you're going to drill press a formula. You've got a pattern. Maybe you'll draw lines on the on the that's correct just like a topographic map correct so that you have yeah. an area let's say 2.6 millimeters right. then you have 2.7 millimeters right then you have 2.8 millimeters right got so it you reset for each region right. yep. the depth of your drill <laughs> and you drill in to to create um holes that go down to the actual depths that you Did want you to have to, to buy a, a press <laughs> i will Okay, you, you need to get so that funny. second. You need to get that second hand. I'm going to try to get us either a second hand or an inexpensive <laughs> or one. Or rent one for a month. Just like you could rent a sorry that you can rent drill presses. Well, I'm sure you could do that. Um, but you know, it's a, we're talking about a level of commitment here. <laughs> okay, but don't you want to play it first? <laughs> I like it. I'm supporting your commitment. It's just a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. I love your commitment. I know you're going to make it sound good. Well, I guess you've heard his violins when he's got the pattern. Yeah. Yeah. I now, guess it's like buying a KitchenAid blender. I have a KitchenAid blender. There's two schools of thought. Uh-huh. The one is we accept the fact that in the 1600s, mm-hmm. a few makers of fiddles in Cremona, Italy, did the very best design for fiddles in the history of ever. And we're going to try to copy those designs. Mm -hmm. And that's all you need to worry about is the thicknesses that they did. All right. Life should be good. Sounds great. There is another school of thought. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And the other school of thought is suggests that you need to tune your plates. 
So your top plate and your bottom mm, plate, mm -hmm. you need to figure out what the actual resonant frequency of that plate is. Mm. And then you have to make adjustments so that you have the relationship of the top and the bottom plate have compatible frequencies. Okay. Now, there's some people think that's like... Um, That's just like cult stuff. And it's not, uh, it, I mean, just carve, carve the darn thing to thickness and you're going to be right, good. Right, right. And some people will go to great effort to tune their plates meticulously. But I saw some, let's call them thickness maps of some old master okay. violins. Yeah. And the actual thickness maps made by someone who has taken apart one and has actually measured all the parts yeah. um, aren't actually done as accurately as one might expect. Oh, interesting. <laughs> leading so to it really suggestion, could be the plates. Well, it, it could be that that the tuning of the plates maybe is is got some black magic in it. Right. Uh, um but this maybe, is just like my Renaissance plays and my uh, revels and masks. <laughs> just we like got it. we got yay versus Drake and plates versus. Yeah. So so anyway, I've built the uh, I built the basic form. Uh huh. Meaning I cut it out of a piece of plywood. Right. Are you going to send us a picture or anything like that? Um. No. <laughs> I might. I may post a picture on our our Facebook page. <laughs> Uh, and I'm waiting for some things to arrive from the International Violin Company. The ordering which, machine? <laughs> yes, the ordering machine, which I'm going to require to go much further. Okay. Um, and specifically, one of those things is hide glue. Oh, yeah, right. And and we're back to roadkill. <laughs> I know. Roadkill. I know. I mean, okay. I let, let me just say it here. Violins are not vegan. No, they're not vegan. No. Because hey, they use hide some... glue. Yeah, and exactly. The reason why they use hide glue is because if something goes wrong, you may need to take it apart mm. to fix it. Oh, interesting. And hide glue can be reversed. I think using heat and yeah. steam, okay. you can take apart the stuff you've glued together with the hide mm. glue. Whereas if you use weld bond or something, <laughs> you've glued it forever. Right. And You'll never be able to take it apart. Now, Maybe does that mean bond. you can't make a perfectly good fiddle using tight bond or weld bond? Of course you right, can. Right. But right. you'll just never, ever get it apart again. Right. So weld bond should, you know, hire us for advertising here. <laughs> they should. Now, they what should. some makers will do is they put the purfling, they install uh -huh. the purfling using uh -huh. white glue. Okay. Because once the purfling is in, it ain't never coming out again. Okay. Okay. And purfling is on the edge. I was going to ask. On the top and on the bottom of all violins, uh -huh. a, a few millimeters from the edge, there is a line that is three colors, really two, two light colors with sandwiching one dark color. And some people make their own purfling. Some people just order it up from the ordering machine. 
is this on the outside or the inside of the island? The outside. Oh, the outside. Okay. Is it near so, the bridge? Would it be called a bridge? No, mm-hmm. it's not near the bridge. It's near the edges. Okay. And it forms a decorative line around the edges. Oh, yeah. And it, it provides maybe some protection for the violin, but mostly it appears to be decorative. Okay. But everybody does it. Now, mm-hmm. can you make a violin without purfling? Well, you know, if the violin, the fiddle Mandarin saw you were doing that, you would be in trouble deep. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> any old fool knows that violins have purfling. Yeah. In fact, one of my two fiddles has double purfling. Mm, meaning it gonna... has two rows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, purfling. of course. Very um, nice. What do you put in there? Just a different color wood? You actually, well, what I'm going to do is I'm, I've ordered up some purfling material. So mm-hmm. someone has got gone to the trouble of making the wood sandwich uh-huh. in little strips. Uh-huh. And you get Very the little cool. strips, you carve out the trench, mm-hmm. you use a mallet and you hammer in with a little bit of glue, the right. purfling, yep. and then you plane the mm-hmm. top of the purfling off so it becomes one with the, mm. with the surface of the fiddle. Very nice. Well, this is exciting. Very exciting. It is exciting. It's madness, yeah. of course. So <laughs> as a preliminary thing, mm-hmm. so I had this fiddle, which belonged to my brother. Yes. And this fiddle is, let's call it harsh. Okay. Even though when we transferred <laughs> it from my brother to me, uh-huh. we took it to a guy up in uh-huh. Shelburne and he put a new tailpiece on and did a little bit of work on it. Mm. but it's still pretty harsh sounding fiddle. Okay. Um, now I discovered by reading some obscure news group <laughs> somewhere um, that some people, if they have a harsh fiddle, will put a paper clip or two onto the bridge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it takes the harshness away. Mm-hmm. So I tried that with this fiddle and lo and behold, it sounded good. <laughs> So what I thought was the problem with this fiddle is the bridge. Hmm. This fiddle has a badly carved bridge. I'm going to order up a new bridge blank and I'm going to carve it Mm -hmm. for this fiddle. Right. And so I did that and it arrived the other day and you have to carve the feet of the bridge. So they sit on the arch of the violin just Uh so. Mm -hmm. And then you have to cut the bridge to height using a template mm-hmm. and you have to put in the slots for the strings. And typically you remove a little bit more material here and there. And then you have to sand one side of it to get to the appropriate thickness. Um, now I knew that if I add more mass to the old bridge, it produces a better tone so i thought i'm going to carve the new bridge on the thick side okay certainly much thicker than the bridge that was on it yeah and maybe a little bit thicker than your standard violin bridge Mm -hmm. and so i did that and i put it on 
And it sounds really good. Oh, that's amazing. That has to give you a lot of confidence for your upcoming project. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it tells me this. It tells me it doesn't matter how carefully you carve the plates if your bridge is shit. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. So the bridge floats. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I understand that. Yeah, the bridge floats. And just behind the bridge, inside the violin on the right side, is a sound post Mm -hmm. which is like a little dowel that you install using a mysterious little tool (laughs) and that puts just the right amount of pressure between the top plate and the bottom plate Mm -hmm. Um, and then once you put the strings on it secures it into place on the left side of the top there's a bar fitted that's called a bass bar and I don't know what that does. <laughs> Guess you'll find out. You will find, you'll out. find out. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I just started messing around with Very that. Very good. I know that I can carve a bridge. That turned out to be not too hard. Right. Hey, um, did you see that? That's good. Did you see that video I posted about Counterpart the TV series? And I, I know saw you, that you posted it. I haven't seen it. Oh yeah, and you can't. And I know you don't get the you don't get that where you are. You can't find it. It's a very good show. It's what with J.K. Simmons. Um, it's about two worlds. So basically, you follow J.K. Simmons, who was the guy who was in Whiplash. Did you ever see that movie about the drummer? That's not my tempo. He's a school teacher. He's a music teacher, like from a very. Is he the same guy who played Fred? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he plays that music instructor. You didn't have to go into the the uh, the obscure drummer. I know, but I wanted to know if you did see that. I did. I did see it. Yeah. You did. Yeah. (laughs) Because I like saying that's not my tempo. (laughs) (laughs) That's not my tempo. So um, yeah, he played Fred in Being the Ricardos. Correct. So he's in this movie counterpart, and 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 I think he was also the closer's boss. He was the closer's boss. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, he was. And he's, he's, very... he's been in almost as many movies as Morgan Freeman. He is in a lot of stuff. I think holds stuff. the record. He is in a lot of stuff. I know he and J- Jack, Gene Hackman and um, Morgan Freeman were taking over movies there for a while. Well, they just are excellent characters. They're really good at yes. doing their little bit. They bring a kind of um, gravity to any movie. So he play. he's the protagonist and he lives works in an office. His wife is in a coma and God damn it. His wife might be Olivia Coleman actually from that creepy doll movie. I saw. <laughs> wow. She can't have much of a role though. If she's in a coma. Well, Oh, good point. So she, she's doing a hell of a job. In, in a, I told you I could watch her being in a coma. She's such a good actor. I can watch her. (laughs) Told you she was that good. So he's somehow going along. It starts out in that clip, in that video. It starts with a go game. That's why I wanted you to see that. Because I almost fell off my, well, I was on the floor, so I couldn't fall off the floor. Mm -hmm. I was laying on the floor watching this. But they've got, go is very minor right now in this story. But he's a go player, plays on the street, and he works a job. And he somehow goes to his job, and there he is right in front of him. What? There's another him. Because there's a whole other world that is underneath them. So there's two worlds. So Olivia Coleman, the wife, actually does have an acting part because he's got his dual wife. Oh, okay. So in the other world, she's fine. 
In the other world, she's fine. In fact, she um, works in, for the, in this. In the other world, she works for the CIA. In the second world, yeah, is is Mister Spock? Does Mister Spock have a goatee? <laughs> it is he evil. <laughs> kind of, he might be. Okay, yeah. All right, then. maybe, maybe we're trying. Maybe we're trying to figure that out. I'm not sure, but it's kind of a spy show and kind of an espionage show and kind of science fiction. And I'm only a few episodes in it, but it's really marvelous. There's two seasons. And I'm um, working my way through it. And if you can find it, boy, I think you're really going to like it. I think Sheila will really like it too. It's really good. What's the and name of it? Counterpart, which makes sense now that I've watched it. At the time, I was like, Counterpart, what kind of time? What kind of title is that? But it's I obvious will, now why I it's will check Counter- our streaming services and see if it's on. There. Well, yeah, because I did text you about it. Maybe you need to persevere. It's on, it's on, um, I don't know what it's on right now, but maybe you can find it. It might be stars. I don't know. Okay, we get stars, so I, I can check. I that. don't know what it's on yet. We've been watching. Well, we wait for the next season of Succession. We decided <laughs> to go back here, yes, and watch rewatch the first three seasons. Of oh, Succession. and see if it tells you anything that would inform. Yes, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. well, see I what, think what they put in there to yeah. um as a precursor to what actually mm-hmm. uh, happens. And were you, you know, able? To- the, the biggest thing that it tells me is that all of the 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 sister and, and her brothers mm-hmm. relate to one another today exactly the way they related to one another as children. Yes. So that's the agree. first thing. Yeah, they've they never grown up. And right. there's there's a, a section in it where they talk about um they had a game they called dog pound where roman was yes. the dog yep <clears throat> and and he's all upset about it and connor and kendall are saying but he liked it yes yes they have different memories of it yes yeah um the other thing that you can't can't fail to notice is that they all have sex issues okay um shiv is unable to hold a monogamous relationship and on her wedding night uh tells tom that she wants an open marriage (laughs) um and tom deserves that and roman roman just can't have sex right well they're stunted because addiction and fame actually prevent you from they, it's almost like anger. They prevent you from developing critical thinking and maturing. So, I mean, people who are substance abuse and they lifelong, they haven't, you could quit the, the alcohol, let's say, but if you don't go in and do the work about why you were addicted to it, then you might, you're still, I think that's what a dry drunk is. You're still like an alcoholic because you haven't dealt with the fact that you haven't processed anything in your life. You haven't developed um, and fame does that to you too. It stops you from from growing up. So they are they were all and Logan. Children. His yes. whole his whole thing is to use everyone and everything yep, for his make- own purposes. And his own purpose is is very singular. It's to win. Yes. All yes. he wants to do is win. Even if willing, winning destroys him, he still needs to win mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. costs. Yeah. 
you know, there's something really just horrible about people who only see other people as workers or, mm. or stepping stones or something, you know, and, and, you know, it, it is disturbing. Really. He only, the only value of his kids is it's, it's like when the Egyptians married their brothers and sisters was to keep the money in the family. I feel like if he could, he would have them all married to each other. So they kept all that money and he would win even more. I mean, basically they aren't in relationships because they are married to each other. They can't develop anything. They're married to the family, to, to their dad. In, and I would say that Logan, the phrase or the words that Logan utters the most mm -hmm. episode after episode after episode after episode to everybody uh -huh. that he allegedly cares about <laughs> yeah. is fuck off <laughs> that's funny fuck off yeah you do good <laughs> it is a great show um it's weird because the smarmy sibling who i really disliked the most at first is the, the one who is who you mean roman oh yeah he's smarmy too um, the other one that's smarmy in a different way, Milk Toast, um, lives out in New Mexico. Oh, oh, Connor. Connor. Oh, Connor, he's awful. He wants to be president. Oh, my God. Oh, God, I hate that. But he, he seems to have gotten over that. He wants to be president because that's the only way he can win, to be out status as dad or something. Oh, I mean, they're just addicted. Wonderful scene I forgot completely about, and that was with Marsha. And... Um, what's the name of Connor's girlfriend? I can't remember. Don't know. Um, Willa. Willa. Yeah. Marcia yeah. and Willa are having a conversation. Mm -hmm. And Marcia keeps talking about, well, you do when you do what you do. Yeah. And she means sex work. Mm -hmm. And Willa thinks she means theater. Mm hmm. It's really, it's a very, very funny scene. It is because funny. Ev everybody considers her to be. I believe they use the words call girl. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing that really fucking sucks about that is how little anyone is intrigued by actually the fact that she is a creative. She is an artist. It doesn't matter that she. That's right. May, may what she. It's like only if you were only defined by your job, by the man, not by your art, Eugene. That's right. And people would never, ever, they would go, well, who cares about you? You're a bureaucrat or you're a bartender you know, and always just put you that, and that that's how they saw you instead of seeing the rest of you, that you maybe are a person who might want to make a violin or a fiddle, <laughs> that you have other um, passions, you know. So yeah, anyway, so it's, it's, so it's interesting to review the yeah, episodes yeah, yeah. and see just what we, what we might have missed and, right. and see if we're going to, to view the characters differently well, I'm curious because I always felt that I didn't trust Tom and that he was only there to get the job of Logan. And do you see anything that would support that watching it again? Well, I mean, Tom, Tom is an interesting character because it seems that nobody takes him seriously. Mm -hmm. um, he would like to have 
some kind of relationship with his wife that he would consider normal. And he seems to be quite shocked that, that she just completely wants to go off and have sex with other people right. and wants them together to have sex with other people. Yeah. But he's with somebody else too. He's been with somebody else too, wasn't he? No. I oh, so. I thought there was a, I thought there was a woman that he had um, been with. Oh, I don't think so. Maybe I'm confused then. Okay. Um, but he clearly is very concerned about his own position. Yeah. I don't think and, he, lo- I don't think he has love. I don't think he's capable of love. Uh, but either is his wife. No, I know. But we know that about her. I don't think he's, I don't see him as having any kind of depth either. I don't think he's, I don't think he's capable of love. I don't think he's interested in loving her. I think he's only with her. I mean, for the position. Yeah, for the position. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, because that's what he wants. And he's all worried about me, 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 me. They don't she's do only worried about me, 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 me. Right. And so the two of them don't actually communicate because they're both only caring about themselves. Right. And they all have very, what I would call, quite boring lives. I would, they just seem like all they do is just walk towards an office and walk away from an office. Oh, that's yeah. all I there, see. There's a wonderful scene <laughs> where where Tom takes Greg out mm-hmm. and he shows like him that. how to be a rich guy. I love that. That is actually a great. I scene. mean, it's a, it's a really, really mm-hmm. fun scene, especially since Greg learns, he learns to be like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he oh learns God. to fit in. If I were those kids, I would just be like, do the, just go do a job and live my life. And go have a life and live somewhere else and show up for Thanksgiving. Well, which is what Connor was doing. Well, right, right, exactly. Why he had to get back until he decided he wanted to be president. I know. So I don't know, but you know, but at least he was. He seems like he has stopped being milk toast. I mean, or smarmy or whatever it is that I found him repulsive. Um, Now he seems like maybe he can have a normal life i mean i they left it hanging it sounds like well they're gonna he has, go and he enjoy has their wacky life. ideas of i'd rather go to jail than pay taxes all right that is pretty stupid yeah um so he's very much oh like somebody you might find in new mexico <laughs> <laughs> i was i was thinking montana but montana but yeah. works too yeah yep yeah yeah um, so anyway, it's it's quite it's quite interesting. I think we have to take a break from it for a little bit. Uh, we're into to season two, um, but it's just kind of overwhelming. Oh, the other thing, uh, yeah, I would recommend. Um, well, I would recommend if you can find Counterpart. And I also binged completely. It's a show I was dismissing. I kept seeing it was showing up on my Netflix, and I was like, eh, I don't even care. But it was called Emily in Paris. Well, I started watching it, and I don't know why. I think maybe a friend texted me. And Tennessee and said, oh, she just binged it. I would like the clothes. Well, anyway, I just ended up watching it like nonstop for two days. Okay. 20 episodes done. Um, it was really, really cute. And it's filmed in Paris. So it's gorgeous looking. And all the clothes are amazing. All right. Leave that one with me. We'll try to watch it. Well, I don't know if you'll like Emily in Paris. It's really, it's the same creative. It's, it's, it's more my kind of cup of tea because it's the Darren Star. I didn't realize it was Darren Star. I might've watched it sooner. Darren Star did Beverly Hills 90210. They did Melrose Place, both of which I watched every episode. Oh, and then Sex and the City. 
the creator of Sex in the City. Oh, okay. And I'm watching Sex in the City, but Emily in Paris is blowing it away. It's so much better. But it's pure, it's really like a big jump. Well, how they thought that they could revive Sex in the City and have it be anything but horrible. <laughs> I mean, what what do they think? I mean, it's a Led Zeppelin reunion. You can't yeah. do it. It's well, it's never having, gonna it ha- work. It has some moments. It has some moments. Um, I've watched three episodes of it and it it's I'm gonna watch more. Um, my sister started watching it and turned it off after 10 minutes. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, maybe watch the rest of the episode. Watch those first two episodes. Because she thought it, it just stank. Well, the very unrealistic conversation in the first 10 minutes. The dialogue was terrible in the first episode. In that opening scene, it was like nobody would talk that way. And if they did, you would walk away from them. You just wouldn't stay and hang out. Um but Emily in Paris is absolutely adorable. It's like a delicious mac and cheese. So cute. I'm not against mac and cheese. I know. And the clothing is amazing. I, I can't say it's for you. Especially but... if there's a bit of barbecue <laughs> with the mac and cheese. There's some barbecue. And a, and a cold beer. And by barbecue, I mean orgasm. I'll <laughs> <laughs> um, enjoy barbecue the same way again. <laughs> Um, it's pretty funny because there's some jokes at the cost of the Americans and the cost of French. So there's a culture war, right? It's a little bit like Daisy Miller, only not as tragic as Daisy Miller. Um, you know, it's an American in Paris. Very, very cute. And very, also the other thing is it's very inspiring. It's a bit like when I watched Miley Cyrus the other night on, on New Year's Eve, it's so good to see young people living and being creative and wearing great clothes and out having fun after this last couple of years. Cause I just, I just keep forgetting, oh, oh, are we going to get dressed up and have fun, you know? <laughs> so it's very refreshing to see that. But I can't say it's for you, Eugene. I don't right. know. Um, well, you know, it's like you... saying it's a chick flick. Sheila has just dropped off mm. this. That is a, um, a like a churro with some kind of <laughs> hot salsa. Yum. And Yum. I'm looking at this and I desperately want to eat it. Okay, that go mean ahead. This podcast is I over? think this podcast is wrapped up. All right. So All right. here it is. Hang on. Hang on. Authenticity. Mm. <laughs> Not bad. Oh, good. Speaking Not of barbecue. On <laughs> <laughs> that okay. note. I'll talk to you later. Catch you next week. Catch you next week.